courage is something that is sorely lacking in our culture these days, especially among followers of Jesus Christ. We fear saying what needs to be said out of the fear of not being liked or perhaps someone disagreeing with us. We are afraid to stand up for our convictions, even if they are biblical convictions, out of fear that perhaps we may be branded as being ignorant or backwards or even out of touch with the culture. We fear the uncertainty of the times we live in where what is expected and what we are used to have been shaken. We lack the courage to face the future where we are uncertain about the outcome or look ahead knowing that loss and heartaches are coming. We are becoming a more fearful and less courageous generation of Christians. And yet 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 tells us, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now you may disagree with me and tell me that people are bold and courageous these days. Just look at what they post on social media. But the reality is that boldness and courage only comes because they hide behind an electronic wall and the anonymity that it brings. So where do we find the courage we need to live in such uncertain times? How do we live our lives as a witness for Jesus when we aren't sure what the future looks like? Where do we find the boldness to take a stand for what is right based on biblical truths and convictions? These are some of the themes and questions we want to take a look at as we begin our new sermon series entitled Courage in the Crucible as we study the book of Joshua. True courage is not the absence of fear, but the mastery of fear, as Mark Twain wisely puts it. And that mastery of fear comes when we understand a few biblical truths and can accept and apply those truths in our lives. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the book of Joshua, found in the Old Testament, as we take a look at Joshua chapter 1, beginning our study in this book. Joshua chapter 1, we're going to take a look at verses 1 to 18. Finding courage and strength in times of uncertainty and in the face of opposition is ours when we focus on four things about our Heavenly Father. Let's take a look at these four courage enablers or bases of courage as we begin our study in the book of Joshua. In chapter 1, the phrase, be strong and courageous, is repeated four times, and it will serve as an outline for our message. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. The time had come for the children of Israel to enter the promised land and to take back the land that is rightfully theirs, given to them by God. If you remember, the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt, and Moses led the people out of Egypt as recorded in the book of Exodus. They traveled hundreds of miles and were about to enter the land, but they did not trust that God would help them conquer this land with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. So as punishment for their rebellion at Kadesh Barnea, they were forced to wander the deserts of the Sinai until that adult generation died and a new generation who were not involved in the rebellion against the Lord were ready to cross into the promised land. Also because of an unfortunate act of disobedience by Moses, God did not allow Moses 
to lead the people into the promised land. That privilege would be given to God's chosen successor in the person of Joshua. But God did let Moses see into the promised land from Mount Nebo before he died. You can imagine the fear that came with leading a large group of people that encompassed 12 distinct tribes with natural rivalries that came with it. You can imagine the fear that came from knowing that you would have to confront and defeat fierce pagan enemies that would fight to the death for their land. It is in this context that the Lord God appeared to Joshua and encouraged him. Look at verses 3 to 6. Every place that the sole of your feet will tread upon, I will give you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. In verse 6, God reminded Joshua that he is a promise-keeping God. He reminded Joshua of the unconditional promise that he gave to Abraham and continued to reaffirm to Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the 12 sons of Israel, to Moses and to others before him that the land of Canaan will be theirs. And Joshua's confidence was to be based on this promise of God that the land is the people of Israel's. But more than the content of this promise, the enabling power of God to fulfill His promise is in view as well. When God tells Joshua, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, as He would now lead the people to retake the promised land. You see, it is in God's omnipotent power that He makes His promises sure, and it is something that we can cling to. As I've said many times, someone can make all the promises that they want, but if they don't have the power to back it up, then those promises are worthless. When God makes a promise, His omnipotence, His all-powerfulness ensures that His promises will come true. I remember a few years ago in a heartbreaking moment at someone's funeral, the wife of the one who passed away cried and sobbed and told me that her husband had promised to take her traveling around the world when he retired. And he was only six months away from that retirement when suddenly he had a cardiac arrest. He was unable to fulfill his promise to his wife because he didn't have the power of holding his life in his own hands. So again, one can't fulfill promises if one can't control the circumstances of allowing it to come to fulfillment. And if you don't have the power to do so, then, of course, promises are worthless. But when God makes the promises, we know that it will and must come to pass because He has the power to do so. He has the power to make it come to fruition. So in the reiteration of the promise of the land to Joshua, God said He will deal with all who stand in the way of opposition. Now, another thing that God reveals to Joshua in these words is His sovereignty over everything. Did you notice that God made it clear to him that He's the one giving and assigning the lands of the world? And the land of Canaan 
and the land mentioned in verse 4 were to be given to the people of Israel. Look what he says. I will give to them in verse 2. And then again in verse 3, I have given you. And again in verse 6, I swore to their forefathers to give them. You know, today in geopolitics, there is an argument over the land of Palestine and who is the rightful claimant over this land, the Jews or the Palestinians. While there are historical and political intricacies to this question, the simple answer is that that land belongs to the people of Israel. Why? Because God sovereignly gave them that land, starting with Abraham. And, of course, adding to that, Abraham also legally purchased that land as recorded in the book of Genesis. So if God wants you to have something, then you can trust in His sovereign right to grant and give it, and you can be sure that it will come to pass. And as a side note, that's why we shouldn't compare. You know, everything belongs to God. And He chooses by His sovereign will who to give it to and in what amount. No one can claim that somehow God is unfair when it isn't yours to give in the first place. It all belongs to God. He has the sovereign will to give each of us what He wants to give us. Now, we put it all together. We see that the very character of God, His power, His sovereignty, His promise-keeping characteristics is being revealed to Joshua in these words that form the reason for God telling Joshua in verse 6, be strong and courageous. Why can we be strong and courageous in the midst of uncertainties and in the face of opposition? Number one, because of God's character. God's character. In the intrinsic character of God, in His right to give, in His power to execute, in His ability to keep promises, we can find courage. That's why you and I can confront any uncertain situation or opposition head on with courage because of who God is. You know, I'm reminded of people like Elijah and Daniel's three friends who were so strong and courageous in the face of great opposition and challenges. Why? Because they all trusted in God's unchanging character. Remember when Elijah, standing alone, declares in front of 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 37? 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 37, he says this, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God. Elijah's confidence, his courage, his boldness was because he trusted in God's unchanging character. Show, Lord, he says, your character, your power, so that they may know that you are the Lord God. Or you remember Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when threatened to be thrown into the fiery furnace for not bowing to an idol that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. In boldness, they said these words in Daniel chapter 3, verse 17. Daniel 3.17, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and He will deliver us from your hands, O King. What courage and what boldness in the face of death, because they trusted in God's character. 
And that is where our source of courage and boldness needs to come from in God's unchanging character. One of the most gifted speakers in church history was a man by the name of John Chrysostom. The name comes from a Greek word meaning golden tongue. He was a gifted speaker. John was sent from Antioch to what was then Constantinople, where he preached fiercely in the capital of the Eastern Roman Empire. His denunciation of the lavish extravagance of the rich and the ruling class and his condemnation of excess infuriated many, including Empress Eudoxia, who arranged for him to be exiled. When he was told of his fate, Chrysostom responded, and I love his words, What can I fear? Will it be death? But you know that Christ is my life and that I shall gain by death. Will it be exile? But the earth and all its fullness is the Lord's. God owns it all. Will it be the loss of wealth? But we brought nothing into the world and can carry nothing out. Thus all the terrors of the world are contemptible in my eyes, and I smile at all its good things. Poverty I do not fear. Riches I do not sigh for. Death I do not shrink from. John Chrysostom was one who understood God's character and therefore was able to stand with such courage in the face of great opposition. Look at verses 7 and 8 with me. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. Here again, the Lord tells Joshua to be strong and courageous by knowing God's Word and living it out. And this is what we talked about last week, the charge that Moses gave to Joshua when he passed the mantle of leadership to him and the charge to know God's Word. In verses 7 to 8, the Lord tells Joshua he was to use God's Word as a guide and not to turn away from it, because by doing so, he would be successful. He would prosper as he headed into the uncertainty of a monumental task. And so Joshua was to meditate on God's Word day and night, which means he was to constantly think about it, to refer to it, to live it out. You see, one can find that the basis of courage in the midst of opposition and in the midst of uncertainty is, number two, God's Word. God's Word. When you read or hear those words from the Scripture, thus saith the Lord, this is what the Lord God says for you to do, that certainly will bring courage because it comes from the one who has authority. It comes from the one we are to obey and listen to. It comes from the one who is omnipotent. And when promised success and prosperity will come to all who heed God's living word, why wouldn't you and I be confident? You know, when I think of courage, I think of an iconic picture of a little six-year-old black girl named Ruby Bridges. And in that picture, she is surrounded by four U.S. Marshals going to school in the 1960s. 
You see, for decades, children in the American South went to public schools segregated, meaning whites and blacks were separated. Well, a federal judge ordered New Orleans to open its public school to African-American children. The white parents of New Orleans decided that if they had to let black children in, they would keep their white children out. They let it be known that any black children who came to school would be in for trouble. So most black children stayed home too, except six-year-old Ruby Bridges. Her parents sent her to school all by herself. Every morning, she walked alone through a heckling crowd to an empty school. White people lined up on both sides of the street and shook their fists at her. They threatened to do terrible things to her if she kept coming to their school. But every morning at 10 minutes to 8, Ruby walked, head up, eyes ahead, straight through the mob. Two U.S. Marshals walked ahead of her, and two U.S. Marshals walked behind her. Then she spent the day alone with her teachers inside that big, silent school building. This picture is also immortalized in a Norman Rockwell painting. Well, Harvard professor Robert Coles was curious about what went into the making of courageous children like Ruby Bridges. He talked to Ruby's mother and reported what she said, and this is what she said. There's a lot of people who talk about doing good and a lot of people who argue about what's good and what's not good, but there are other folks who just put their lives on the line for what's right. And I have taught my daughter that, to simply do what's right. And that, my friends, is why the Word of God is one of the basis of our courage, because it tells us what is right. There isn't talk or argument about whether something is right or wrong. When the Bible says, thus says the Lord, this is what God commands us to do. It gives us the boldness and the courage to do it because it's right. You see, with certainty comes boldness and courage. The Lord told Joshua, be strong and courageous, and you do so by meditating on my word so that you will be focused to do what I, not others, want you to do because it is the right thing. Courage comes when God's word assures us that our confidence in the Lord is not misplaced. We will see this come to bear in the book of Joshua. Look at verse 9 with me. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In this third admonition for Joshua to be strong and courageous, the Lord tells him simply that the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You see, what is being affirmed to Joshua is basis of courage number three, and it is God's presence. God's presence. You know, it's tough to be courageous when you are standing alone. But to know that someone stands with you and that person is the Lord God, even in the most dark and desperate of situations, that would certainly give you courage. There is no place where God is not there. And that refers to God's omnipresence. It speaks of God being everywhere, always so when God says in verse 5, I will not leave you nor forsake you, that is truth. Those are not words to make us feel better. That's truth because God's omnipresence says He is everywhere always. 
You know, David realized the same thing when he writes Psalm chapter 139. And in verses 7 to 12, he declares this. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as a day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. The psalmist declares, there is no place where God is not there. This simple truth that the Lord God is always with you in the face of opposition or in the face of uncertainty should inspire in each of us confidence and boldness. The Lord is with us through our deepest and darkest times, even in our most painful of experiences. My favorite American president is Abraham Lincoln. Throughout his administration, Abraham Lincoln was a president under fire, especially during the scarring wars of the American Civil War. And though he knew he would make errors in the office, he resolved never to compromise his integrity. So strong was his resolve that he once said, I desire so to conduct the affairs of this administration that if at the end, when I come to lay down the reins of power, I have lost every other friend on earth, I shall at least have one friend left, and that friend shall be down inside of me. Abraham Lincoln had a personal relationship with the Lord, and he saw the Lord as his friend, and that's why the greatness of Abraham Lincoln was that he was able to stand on his convictions with boldness and with courage to make so many difficult decisions that were the right decisions. And yet there are times we still question God's presence in our lives. But if only we look carefully, we see God's fingerprints everywhere. He is everywhere, always. I like this poem from Brent Earls. The stars are God's fingerprints. The sun is a mere smidgen of His radiance. The moon is to remind us that He doesn't sleep at night. The vastness of space proclaims the infinity of His wisdom, while the sand pebbles indicates His thoroughness with the puniest details. The lion hints at His fearlessness, the bear at His power, the hawk at its keen insight. And yet, those possess only a tidbit of God's omnipotence and omnipresence. Every tree points toward heaven. Every bird has a song to sing. Even every moment of wind goes in some direction. There is nothing chaotic about our beautiful designed world. All creation has a message to tell. It says, listen, there is a God, there is a God, and He is present. If you believe God's presence to be the basis for your courage, then you will be able to say amen to what Mary Bynard wrote, I'd rather walk with God in the dark than go alone in the world's light. I'd rather walk with Him by faith than walk alone by sight. Look at verses 10 to 15 with me. 
Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them. Until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you, and they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side of the Jordan towards the sunrise. Joshua told the people as they gathered on the eastern side of the Jordan to prepare to pack up and move out in three days as they prepared to cross the Jordan River to take back the promised land. But two and a half tribes of Israel had land allocation on the eastern side of the Jordan River. As was agreed to with Moses, the fighting men from those two and a half tribes were to cross with the rest of the nine and a half tribes while their family could stay on the eastern side. When the land had been possessed, then the men of valor could return back. Look at their response in verses 16 to 18. So they answered Joshua saying, All that you command us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your word in all that you command him shall be put to death, only be strong and of good courage." The leaders of the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh said they would indeed follow the command of Joshua, and if anyone didn't obey, they would be severely punished. You see, the reason they followed Joshua is because he was God's anointed and appointed leader. They recognized that the Spirit of God was with Joshua, as noted in verse 17. And that's why... Joshua heard it aforetime that he was to be strong and courageous. You see, the basis of courage, number four, is God's appointment. God's appointment. Now, you may wonder what God has appointed you as followers of Christ that would give you and me courage. Well, first of all, we are appointed as His children through our adoption in Jesus Christ. And as His children... He will certainly protect us. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. Appointed as his children, God will not allow Satan to hurt us, to affect us. We are also appointed as his heirs, and we receive an inheritance. And as his heirs, he will certainly protect us. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. 
He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. We are protected as His heirs. And of course, as the Lord's appointed children and His heirs, His armies of angels watch over us and protect us. Look at Psalm chapter 91, verses 9 to 11. The psalmist writes these words in Psalm 91, verses 9 to 11. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. If only we will remember these truths, that we are God's appointed people, that we will remember that He protects us, He watches over us. He sends His angels to guard us, and therefore we can live courageously for His purpose. We can live boldly for Him in the face of opposition. A 14th century woman once asked the Lord why the Lord seemed so present to His people in the times of the Scriptures, but seemed so absent in our own time in the 14th century. Her conclusion was this, that God seemed so present to people in biblical times because they came to Him as faithful disciples to await His inspiration, allowing themselves to be fashioned like gold in the crucible or painted on by His hands like an artist's canvas and letting Him write the law of love in their hearts. She noted that Christians in the 14th century acted as if God could not see or hear them. And they wanted to do and say everything by themselves, keeping themselves so busy and restless that they would not allow God to work in them. Sounds very much like today. We have forgotten in the busyness of our times and in the self-confidence in our own selves that we are God's children, His disciples, His followers, appointed as His heirs, who should remember that it is by His enabling strength and wisdom that we draw confidence and boldness, and that it comes from the Lord Himself and in Him alone. I heard a story about a bull that loved to chew his cud while sitting beneath a shade tree. That particular tree was located just a stone's throw from a set of railroad tracks. And every time a train came blowing by, it would disturb his afternoon nap and frustrate him. So this bull had all that he could take. And one day he became so agitated that he decided to take action. He heard the train blowing its whistle a mile down the way. So he took that train head on. He stood right there in the middle of the tracks, and this was a showdown. Well, as you can guess, minutes later, the conductor of the train was cleaning what remained of that animal from the front of the locomotive. And when all had been done, he tipped his cap to that bull and said, Bull, I admire your courage. I question your judgment. The courage of our heart in the face of uncertainty and opposition, does not come from foolishly thinking that we can tackle these problems ourselves using our own ability, our own wisdom, in our own strength. 
to somehow deal with the uncertainties and the oppositions of life. Our confidence and our courage comes from the Lord. And that's exactly what God wanted to remind Joshua as he prepared to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. And God wanted to remind Joshua that it came from his character, his word, his presence, and his appointment. My friends, let us learn these bases of courage so that we can stand with boldness in the face of the great oppositions and the great uncertainties that each of us face. May God encourage you to lean on Him and to know the truths of who He is and what He has written so that we can all stand boldly and courageously for Him in this life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that in this first chapter of Joshua, You give us the basics for how we are to find courage. And Father, we all fear whether we admit it or not. We fear what is to come. We fear the unknown. We fear the challenges that are present, and we fear the challenges that are to come. But Lord, may we rest upon Your character. May we rest in Your Word. May we rest in Your presence. May we rest in Your appointment that You stand with us. You watch over us. You give us clarity and truth. You will never leave us nor forsake us. And for that, we can find courage and be strong in the Lord. Father, may you raise up a generation of Christ followers who indeed are courageous in this generation because they are rooted in God's Word and because they rely in the person of our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.